smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. Hi, I'm Antonia Blythe, and this is 20 Questions on Deadline. Joining me today is Alison Bree. Welcome, Alison. We got second place in my seventh grade lip sync contest for one of the songs on that album. The one that was like, you've already won me over. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. It's like very of all slow. The, all the options. In spite of me. Like, what did we do? It's so slow. <laughs> Don't forget to listen to 20 Questions on Deadline. Thank you again, Alison. Thank you. This is the Lombardi Line with Michael Lombardi and Patrick Maher on VSIN. Okay, so Lombardi Line presented by BetMGM here on VSIN, the sports betting network. You know, we, t- we tend to conflate when we have a weekend like we just had. We'll then start to try to compare it because for us, every football weekend's great. Uh, but those four games, I mean, you had four walk-offs, Michael Lombardi, yeah. here on uh, the Lombardi line. It doesn't get much better than that. Field goal, field goal, field goal. Then you had the touchdown pass to Kelsey um, as far as the walk-off there with Kansas City. You see the opener. We'll just throw up the numbers quickly here to get you set up. Seven uh, is the number right now in Kansas City for the Bengals. Do you, to Will's point, do you consider a letdown uh, a possibility here for the Chiefs? No, I think they'll be more exhausted. I think they can really rally it up. The fact that Cincinnati beat them before certainly is going to help them. I think there's no doubt about that. The, the thing we did say going into this was anyone could beat any other team. We thought Pittsburgh, we could eliminate Pittsburgh from beating any team. But the other 13 teams in the tourney, we thought had a chance. And I think we see it by the seedings, right? You know, two playing four, four playing six. And those are really hard to, you know, one, two, and three from the NFC are out. I mean, the best team from the best two teams in the NFC are the two teams in the West. Shows you the, the power of that conference. And if you're Steve Keim or if you're John Schneider, I mean, you know, that's a hard thing to play. You got two of your best teams are there playing for the conference championship with guys that, you know, they have quarterbacks that they feel like whether they keep Garoppolo or not, but they're a good team. So, I just felt it was so even, and I and I think even the way the games went yesterday, it was a dog weekend. The weekend before, it was a it was a favorite weekend. This weekend was a was a usually this weekend is always for me home teams win, and the the well the most rested team, the the two most rested teams with the only buys the first time, out in the first game. Well, speaking of rest. And logistics can't set up for a better spot for the Rams, right? So they're going to host San Francisco. I mean, just outside looking in, they're going to host San Francisco and the Super Bowl is being played there at SoFi. Three and a half. By the way, that three and a half is closer to three. Every shop has got three and a half with the Rams laying it. But you see the juice. It's even at a couple of shops. It's 105. So could be headed to three here. yeah, and I mean, and the, and the other conversely, a lot of them are are at seven at one fifteen or one ten. You know, so you know it's interesting. Last year, the Bucks got to play home. You know, when I when my first Super Bowl 
was when we played in Stanford Stadium against the Miami Dolphins in 1984. That was a home game for us. You know, even though we didn't play it in Candlestick Park, we, it was right down the street from our facility. So, but this is kind of interesting. Now we have two years in a row, the potential for a home team to play in the Super Bowl is somewhat really remarkable. And, you know, I think it's, you know, I think if Kansas City plays either the Rams or the 49ers or Cincinnati, can they, you know, I have such a hard time getting over Cincinnati because bad offensive lines don't travel. And even though they beat Tennessee last week, I just didn't think, to me, it was Tennessee losing, not Cincinnati winning. Credit to them. I'm not disputing it. But I have a hard time winning my thinking that they're going to go into Kansas City and duplicate that again. I think it's a little bit like the year Tennessee surprised everybody. Remember, they went into New England and won. They went into Baltimore and won. Then they ran into Kansas City, and it was over. Let's dip back into Saturday. We have some time here, and let's discuss that. I, uh, In your lifetime, I mean, I guess we saw it with Warren Moon back in the day, but if you thought, if you said you're going to get sacked nine times and win a football game, I, I mean, that is like what Burrow and Cincinnati did down in Tennessee is wild. I mean, I'm going to study it today, but the protection schemes. I mean, he squeezes the protection. He doesn't have somebody to block the outside edge, and yet he gets sacked. He's got to throw the ball hot off of that. You know, it's just, to me, these are problems that, whether it was on Burrow, whether it was on Zach Taylor's schemes, but this has been going on all year for them. And yet they were able to overcome them. I mean, Burrow's just a, such a great competitor. You know, and the, two, the things I think when you look at, what I was counting on why I recommended Tennessee never came out to fruition. Tennessee was a really good team on third down offense and third down defense. And in this game, they were horrible. Tennessee was a really good team in red zone offense and red zone defense. And in this game, they were horrible. And that's what happens in single elimination. Not necessarily the best team wins. The best team that day wins. And Tennessee, which I thought would play much better off the bye week, played their worst game. To throw an interception on the opening play of the game is, to me, really disappointing. And, you know, I think that's going to eat at Mike Vrabel for a long, long time. I think he's going to have a hard time understanding how, you know, they didn't move the ball with more clarity and more, more domination, especially considering they had every opportunity. I mean, you got first and – you got third and one from your own 35 with eight minutes to go in the game. But, I mean, at the Bengals 35, and you're in shotgun, going to run the read option with Tannehill, and you're not going to give the ball to either Foreman, who's averaging almost 10 yards a, a run, or, or, give it to, uh, or give it to Henry. I mean, Foreman had four carries in the game for 66 yards. Yeah, he looked great. He looked, I mean, it was, it, you know, it, it, and then you're going to give it to Tannehill. I mean, like, I just think to me that's a – there are certain calls, and I've said this repeatedly, third and shorts determine these games. They determine every single playoff game, and it costs Tennessee. Well, Titans were one for seven on third downs as well. You know, I'm just thinking about because I'm looking at the numbers. Uh, so Tannehill had three picks, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think there were three combined well, and, by the and, other quarterbacks. And they, and they lost. Not only did he have three picks, that turnover on downs is a turnover. It doesn't go in the category, but they're at the 35. They turned the ball over on downs. It's like the block punt. We don't count that as a turnover, but it was. And what makes the block punt, we said this on Sunday, what makes the block punt so hard to digest is the fact they weren't even trying to block it. Right. Because if, if you look, I mean, no, they were trying to return. They were trying to return it. They were figuring they were going to get good field position off a of return. No picks last night from either Mahomes or Allen. Would Brady have a pick? No picks from Stafford. 
and then Garoppolo had one. Yeah, I mean, three. The, the, that's it. The three interceptions start off the game as well. Would they run that play action with Tannehill to start the game? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it looked like they were trying to get it down the field, and he curled back, and he brought it back, and the safety just read Tannehill's eyes and brought him right over to it. I mean, Bates made a really good play, but you would think that Tannehill would have been smarter. I mean, he's an experienced player to make sure he looks off the safety, kind of moves him around a little bit. But, you know, I mean, look, they, they just didn't play. I, I thought, too, Tampa in the first half, and I tweeted this out. I mean, Tampa looked like they were not even ready to play. I mean, Listless. Tampa looks like they've got something wrong. And I think that Levante David said it after the game. It looked like there's a big disconnect within that locker room. Lack of hunger, listlessness, what, after the championship? I, I, I think What's it's going on? I think it's certainly the, I think certainly it's the, you know, the, the, the ability to try to get back. It's hard. It's hard to repeat. Yes, you know, it it's really hard to repeat. And and then you had a bunch of injuries. They had guys hurt, and it's hard when you lose players. You know, and we said it on the broadcast this, yesterday morning. I mean, McVay has always done a good job. This is three times in a row now he's beaten Brady. Right? It's three times in a row he's beaten Brady. He always does a good job against them. Whereas, you know, then we know San Francisco does a good job against him. Von Miller shows up against Brady as well. I was think of that when I was watching. It was the game amazing. Yesterday. Donovan Smith. I mean, that, that, if you were going to count on one guy playing pretty good for the Bucks, you would have thought it would have been Donovan Smith at left tackle. But he was horrendous. I mean, everybody was talking about Wells in the game, including me. And Wells, not that he played well, but I mean, Wells uh, Smith probably was the most disappointing player in the game. You know, and and they just couldn't execute. Brady didn't throw the ball well. I mean, there was nothing good about that game at all that Brady – I mean, first of all, he throws it 54 times. We said going in the game he can't do that. They did stop the run. I mean, the Bucks. I mean, the Rams had 30 carries for 73 yards, but they couldn't control the passing game. They never got control of the passing game. And Cooper Cup had – again, he had six, 84 yards – he had 64 yards on the final drive of the game. Yeah. Uh, quickly on Saturday, the so uh, an outright win and an under there, Cincinnati and Tennessee. Um, BDV, Big Daddy Vince, your cousin, mm. a big Packer fan, Vince Lombardi. Oh. Uh, yeah. As the dust has settled now and what happened at, at Lambeau, do you oh, have more classic. thoughts? Yes, of course, right. the Packers closed six, well, 47. Well, he's, a very, as he's very upset about, you know, he thinks it's, the, it's over with for the Packers. The floor will get exposed as the bad coach. But what was, you know, also a part of the Big Daddy lore is his, his he, he hates Brady. He thinks the red zone was Brady's dedicated channel. He, he, he's very anti all the winning that Brady's done because it really kind of smacks at his quarterback who hasn't won like Brady has, right? You know, so last night he was in complete panic because I didn't realize was he was such a Brady it. hater, Big Daddy Vince. Oh, yeah. All those guys, everybody, well, you know, there's a bunch of, read Twitter, everybody hates Brady because he wins too much, right? Yes. Yes. You know, you won't, criticize, you won't criticize your boy Lombardi. How do you criticize a guy who plays with the game so good? Did he play good yesterday? Of course he didn't play. He would be the first one to tell you he didn't play good. Like, what do you want me to say? Oh, he's terrible. Don't put him in the Hall of Fame. He's not worthy. Okay, great. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Warren Moon's in there. He didn't win at one playoff game, but he's in there. Okay, we'll go back to that. But Big Daddy is like, all in the final minutes of the Buck game, I'm getting texts saying that if, if Brady wins this game, he's not watching football for the rest of the year. It was hilarious. I was like, are you kidding me? And so then when, when, the, when, the, when the Rams won, that I can watch football again. 
missed opportunity. Actually, missed opportunity not having BDV on to preview that, that game in Lambeau on Saturday. We probably should have had him on just to give it, get his thoughts. Uh, the break. Oh, yeah, he would have been completely negative. I mean, he would have been Big Daddy would have been. He would have told you. That, I knew there. He told me yesterday when he came over the house. He said, "I knew they were going to lose." Well, I mean, like I actually said this to him. And I, th- and I think it was the right thing to say. I said, look, when they tied the game up at 10-10 to 10 with the block punt, I really felt like that was the, that was, they were going to win the game because at that point, LaFleur had to be aggressive with his play calling. And then, you know, they're third and 11, and he's got a guy, and he's got Lassard wide open on an in-cut, and he throws it into double coverage. Why? Because, he, because that game shook up Rodgers. He didn't trust anybody, and the only person he trusted was, was really Adams. I mean, really, when you watch the tape, uh, Randall Cobb was useless. Brady says he's going to take it day to day. That's very new age, very present of him. Do you, do you believe he's going to take it day to day? Do you think he's going to be yeah. in a box? What, what did you think when they showed the box of all the family in there? I thought it was I'd weird. Like they, were, they, 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 were, they were celebrating. They were weren't happy, weren't they? Yeah, yeah they were losing. Giselle was in a great mood. It's good to see. Yeah. I like to see people in a good I, mood. I think you better think, think about that for a while. Mull over that for a little bit. I don't know what was happening. It was the memento. It was the go- Everything was opposite. All right, we come back. It's the Lombardi Line. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app. You're listening to The Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. If you missed any part of our show or anything on the VSEN schedule today, don't forget to check out our free sports betting podcast. Every show, archive, podcast vcin.com slash podcast. By the way, you can find the Lombardi line now wherever, whatever platform you use to find your podcast, you can find the Lombardi line. Just search for it. Catch replays of all the shows, Beating the Book, Gail Alexander. You get Market Insights with Josh Applebaum. You get Hardwood Handicappers, JVT, Lombardi line, Follow the Money, My Guys in the Desert, Coast to Coast Hoops, and much more. They're all free, available now at vcin.com slash podcast. It's vcin.com slash podcast. So Matt Santos brought this up. I'd be curious to get your thoughts, Mal. 
again, it'd be projection a little bit, but Brady's thoughts on Arians. Arians does have an unhinged and erratic quality to him a little bit. The the Brown situation, the slapping the player on the head. What Matt Santos was positing during the break, Michael Lombardi, was that maybe the team started to take on a little bit of his erra erraticness, and that's what you saw yesterday. He, he does have a different vibe. I wonder what Brady would say, true serum, about Bruce Arians, Mr. No-Risk-It-No-Biscuit. You know, I, I don't think things are buttoned up there. I don't think things are buttoned up. I think they have when 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 they have all those weapons on offense. I don't think I don't think I don't see it buttoned up. The tension to detail, the the kicking game, all those things. I think it's a little bit of kind of his personality. Hey man, we're just going to get it going. You know, we'll see what happens. <laughs> and you know, it's one of those. I, that's what it looks like to me on tape. I've never asked, but just watching it. You know, I don't get us. I don't get the sense that they're they're pristinely disciplined, that they're able to really focus and really, uh, you know, and and make sure all the detail. I mean, just look at their game management. Look at the end of the game. I mean, you think Brady today would if whatever he thinks of Belichick or whatever? Do you think he thinks Belichick wouldn't have managed the last part of that game differently? And that's why I bring up I mean, you know, because Brady's been to every Friday of his career, every Friday of his career, he would go into a meeting, he would sit in the lower seat on the right left side of the of the of the room, and he would watch Belichick go through the gotta have it players. Right. And Belichick would spend time, okay, when they want to make a play, it's Cooper Cup. When they need a third down, it's Cooper Cup. Where's the ball going? It's Cooper Cup. So for Brady to see the Cooper Cup at 64 yards in the final drive of the game when they gotta have it he's probably got to say to himself, well, this probably wouldn't have been this case in New England. If I said 70-30, Brady comes back 70% 30, he retires. Is that about right? I, I You know, 60, I don't 40? know. I can't predict. I think it's high. I, I think the fact that it's gotten out, that he's considering it, tells me that it, it's more serious than we think it is. Also, if and he wanted to make a move at coach, he could. If, like that's to our point about. I think Arians, he's going to become. He, I think he's going to run a. I think he's going to run a team. Why not run a team? He could. He could do whatever he wants. Light you know? would say, "Well, I mean, what do you want?" Ma Manning would. I mean, I'm sure he could go into television. Look, we this Sean Payton rumor. You know, I got killed on my podcast on Twitter because I said that Sean Payton's undecided about his future. And all the New Orleans fans just have ridiculed me for the past two weeks. Not, not that it bothers me. I mean, it's no big deal. But they just, you have no sources. You don't talk to anybody. Okay, I don't. So then yesterday when <laughs> Rappaport comes out with it, you know, then, then it's it, all of a sudden now he's getting a wrath. And, but he obviously has better sources than I do. So, you know, to me, there's no guarantee. And then, then now today, Fox is considering Sean Payton if he wants to leave. For their boot, for the for the job, if Aikman leaves, so there's a lot of behind the scenes stuff, as I've indicated. So, I think that you know, there's a lot of things that. What happens if Brady decides he wants to quit? You don't think he would be able to do TV? I think if Brady quit, he would spend more time. I don't think he would go into that 17 week grind of doing games. I think he would go spend time with his family in Costa Rica and kind of get his ducks in order, if you will. The yeah, and you did report the Sean Payton. Well, listen, it would be a good time to bail. Their cap situation is perilous. Yeah, no, it's in trouble. I mean, look, the Bucks are in trouble cap wise, right? They they put all their chips in, and I think, frankly, when he did when he went there, he signed a two year contract. I don't think he thought he was going to play. He's always talked about playing to forty five. He's forty four now. But this year might have been very taxing on him. I don't know. I don't know that, but it might have been very taxing. It looked taxing on him yesterday.
report out now. The Broncos are down to three candidates. Quinn, of course, we know, probably the front runner, as you've reported as well. Kevin O'Connell, who's the quarterback's coach there, I think he may be called the offensive coordinator with the Rams, but that's McVay. And then Nathaniel Hackett. Those are the three names left for the Broncos. And I, and I heard they really, really liked Kevin O'Connell. I know they really liked Dan Quinn. I don't think they, Dan Quinn went and wowed him in the interview. I don't think he wowed him in the interview. I That's think interesting. That, that caused a little bit of a hesitation. And so I, I think that Kevin O'Connell kind of went in there and really caused a pause for, okay, maybe this is our guy. I don't know. I think it's between those two. Obviously, with Nathaniel Hackett involved, too, he'll have more time to spend with Quinn and more time to spend with Hackett. O'Connell, you know, is, but look, Sean McVay does everything in there. So, and they say Kevin's a great guy, and he was drafted by the Patriots, and my son worked with them before. So, you know, I'm sure he'll, he'll have an influence, but I think he'll have more time to interview because McVay is going to run everything. Plus, these two teams, that they know each other so well. They play each other twice a year. They know them. They, you know, they know each other really well. The Raiders are going to interview Jared Mayo, of course, Patriots mm-hmm. linebacker coach. I think they already have. I Did think they already, already get him? have interviewed. They already got him? Okay. I think they're going to get D'Amico Ryans this week. I think the Raiders will make a decision by the end of the week. I think they will. I think they may just hire a GM first, let him hire the coach. I think they're interviewing Ed Dodds from Indianapolis today or tomorrow is the one of their GM candidates. I think they've gone through this pretty pretty extensively. I think they have a plan. I don't get the sense that Jacksonville's ready to make a decision anytime soon, but they could, you know, and now that Byron Leftwich is out, maybe they go in that direction. Mayo and Ryans are both great players. You know Mayo, I'm sure. Do you, do you think he has the temperament and the right stuff to become a head coach? I think he does. I think Ryans got to run a room sure. and call a game. I think he's close more along. I mean, Mayo, Stephen Belichick calls the game in New England along with, you know, and so I think Ryan's has demonstrated on tape clearly something that was unique and special. And, and I think the thing that really helps him for me is his team got better. They got better during the year. I mean, they improved their defense over the course of the season, which to me is what I'm, you always want to look for in a coach. I mean, is he making the team better? Does the team improve? You know, are they able to do the things that they need to do defensively? And when you look at them early in the year, I would say, you know, opening game against the Lions. Remember the Lions came storming back? You know, they weren't playing as well. Arizona put 437 yards on them with Colt McCoy out there. You know, when they played them at home. So you know, a surprise. And, but I think since then, since then, they have played really well. They have played really well. And they haven't really been, you know, they, they play the run. I mean, they haven't given up a 100-yard rusher since they lost to Seattle in Seattle. Little and before that, you know, before that, they, they've really, the first four games of the season, they couldn't stop the run. Yeah. And then they kind of got control of it. But really, since week 10 of the season, they have, they've made their opponent be one-dimensional, which is the key to what they're doing. You know, the Quinn thing surprises me just because it feels like the one thing he would do well is interview because he's all energy. He's been there before. You know, he's that rah-rah type. So you would assume that that would go over well in an interview. Um, I'm going to give you a team. Just give me your, your vibe right now. The Bears. 
I think it's Matt Eberflus, but that's just a guess. I think that Polian's going to orchestrate this, so it's a Polian disciple. It's a Tony Dungy disciple. It's going to be somebody from his tree. He's in complete control of the interview process, and I think it'll be somebody that he favors as the GM and he favors as the head coach who's who he knows and and knows all his people that that, sur- that he surrounds himself with. In Jacksonville, we thought it was going to be, for a little while, a little while, it looked like some momentum for Bill Effing O'Brien. That seems to have calmed that's down out. a little no, bit. No, that's done. It's, no, that's is done. that done because of him, that's or done. is it done because that's Jacksonville's done. moved on? Uh, Jacksonville moved off on him. I mean, Balky's really trying to get, he's trying to get the guy in there that he really wants. He's been trying to get, you know, Josh McDaniels to interview for the job down there. I don't think that'll happen. Uh, you know, he's been trying to get the, the guys that he feels most comfortable with to go down there. And they're all over the place. I mean, they're not willing to they, – they're telling candidates, Balky's here, so he's going to at least stay for the draft. How does that work? I, I don't know. Houston is another one that's out there. I don't really know what Houston's going to do. They interviewed Josh McCowan twice. Miami vibe, Dolphins. My first, my first thought was Jim Caldwell. I think it could be Jim, although Brian Dayball is in New York for a second time today. I think New York's between Flores and Dayball, so I think there'll be a decision there. Good one. How about Minnesota? Vibe. Vibe will be some young coach that's going to embrace analytics. Kellen Moore, that type of coach. Gannon, Somebody like that. Jonathan Gannon. G- G- yeah, Jonathan. Anybody who's young and inexperienced and they can mold them into, you know, they can be coach in charge, not head coach. Raiders is going to be Mayo or, or D'Amico Ryans. Right here. We said it. For, what do you think? No. No. Not, Rich, not your boy Basaccia either. He gone. No. When Mayock, no. when Mayock was out, you knew Basaccia. I mean, hey. Mark Davis is making moves. Like he generally, people think of him as a pushover. He doesn't seem to have that vibe right now. I think it's one of the best jobs in the league because it's an old school job. It's a great. It's the city's getting into it as well here. Okay, we'll come back. Good stuff on the coaches from Michael Lombardi. There, we've got Josh. A couple plays coming up next here, Lombardi Line. to the Lombardi line on VSEN featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now once again, here's Patrick Maher. It's never too early to prepare for the big game and we want to make sure VSEN is part of your plans. We'll be working with you throughout the postseason and then we're going to be here on championship weekend of course and then for the big game. We're going to have 56 hours of free video coverage over at vcin.com leading up to our sixth annual live big game betcast. It's the biggest game of the year, so make plans now to join the VSIN crew. Betting experts before, during, and after the game for all the action at vcin.com. So we've got you covered for We did a few years back, you, me, and Josh, we did a halftime hit. You and Josh yeah. were out at, yeah, you were out at the Borgata. That's right, as we say hi to Josh. Mm-hmm. And, um, but it's not in our contracts anymore, so we get to chill. We'll, hey, we'll be grinding on on Super Bowl Sunday, Michael. That's one that we'll we'll give, we'll give two solid hours. You know that? Yeah, we'll give it. We'll we'll make it. We'll make it work. We'll give everything we got, and Josh will be a part of it as well. Josh, of course, Market Insights joins us. Have uh, unfortunately for Josh, he backed his boy Tommy. Have you sworn off Tommy uh, for good now, moving forward with the Bucks losing outright on the field there, my friend? 
Well, I'll never swear him off, guys. Patrick Michael, great to be with you. You know, that's my guy, you know, till the end of time here. But I am kicking myself a little bit. You know, we did have a lot of those stats on those uh, divisional home favorites doing well straight up. Uh, but kind of the whole time, you know, liability looking back on it was always with the Rams. So if you took the points, you know, plus three was always trending juice wise down to uh, Los Angeles. So again, kind of taking your bias out of it. Now, obviously, uh, you know, I, and Michael, this one was crazy to me. I know you, you've hit on it already, but Todd Bowles blitzing there at the end and then not double teaming Cooper Cup. Like, you know, maybe play that prevent defense, get it to overtime. That was kind of a peculiar move. But really, guys, overall, just what an incredible weekend of football. No matter who you were on, what number you had, just I don't think you can get better games than that in general. And we do have some updated stats here, guys, on the Super Bowl. So uh, here are the moves that we have. And on the year now uh, for the playoffs, we do have favorite 6-4 and four ATS. They went 3-1 and one ATS this weekend, under 6-4. and four. You had 2-0 on Saturday, but 0-2 there uh, yesterday. But new Super Bowl odds, Kansas City, your favorite, plus 120. They entered the weekend plus 400 the Rams your second best odds here plus 200 they entered the weekend plus 800 San Francisco plus 450 they entered the weekend plus 1100 and Cincinnati plus 800 now they entered the weekend plus 400 so Michael I think you're leaning on the on the Chiefs here and by the way great calling that over but any of these uh, numbers do they appeal to you Michael is there a team here maybe not the chalk Chiefs who knows maybe they win it all but of those three other teams who would you lean on well, you got to lean on the team that's the hottest, right? I mean, I think the the 49ers are plus 450. I mean, the Rams, look, they went in and, and took took down Arizona, a wounded team with a quarterback that couldn't make a play. And then this week, they dominated, even though the score says it was very close. They dominated until they owned, they shot themselves in the foot against the, the Bucks. So, you know, they've played well, but there's some variables in them. I just think the 49ers, what they've been able to accomplish going into Dallas and winning, going into Lambeau Field in that horrendous cold weather and winning without really doing much offensively, to me is fairly remarkable. And one thing we do know is defense, in spite of the history of the passing game, defense can carry a team when the defensive front is like that. And we saw it in the Super Bowl when the, when the, when the, the, four, the, when the Giants beat the, beat the Patriots both times. It was their defensive front that really won the game. Uh, T.J. Watt and Nick Bosa are on another planet. That Bosa, Bosa catching that when Bosa caught Rogers from behind when he was completely. I mean, that rarely doesn't happen. Ha he had over pursued. I, I said to Big Daddy, "This rare, you never see this." But I think the difference in the game, though, Patrick, and I think it's going to be the difference is Armstead. Armstead, Armstead was, was everywhere, everywhere, unblockable. They held him on every. They could have called holding on every play. He, he was unblockable he was. in there. Your boy, and your boy Kinlaw was isn't even in there. I know, I know. <laughs> they drafted him in the first round out of South Carolina. Hey, they did okay Think with the about guy. That they're not getting it. They're not getting it. They let go DeForest Buckner and they they replaced him with Kinlaw. And Kinlaw's not playing. Right, and and now and they also don't have a first-round pick on the team this year. Think about that. The last, I, I think Kinlaw was, but you, it, no, Kinlaw was. So the last two first-round picks for the Niners, two years, haven't ago. made any impact on their team, and yet they're they're playing for a conference championship game. Yeah. Tells you what a good job they've done. And why don't they have picks? Never mind. Let's move on. <laughs> the 49ers don't have picks moving forward. Um, well, they did. They went to South Carolina to get Kinlaw because they they kind of hit lightning in a bottle with Debo from South Carolina. They went back to the well. Josh, early report on the openers here. It's interesting. I don't know if you heard Josh, but Thomas Gable's up to seven and a half on the Chiefs, and you know you see mostly everybody else is sitting seven. 
Yeah, you're exactly right, Patrick. So uh, kind of, you know, here, I think some books were six and a half to seven, seven might be getting to seven and a half. Again, favorites, early dogs late. I'm wondering if just off that incredible game we all saw last night, is there just this public belief of, hey, just don't bet against the Chiefs. I don't care what the number is, you know, just take them in this spot. But I'm thinking, hey, if you can buy low on Cincinnati and get a seven and a half with a hook, I'd actually be looking at Cincinnati here. But Michael, I wanted to get your take on the total. I was doing some research here uh, and really kind of what we've seen in these AFC NFC championship games uh, since. Since 2003, the over is 22 and 11 in these games, 67%. The over is 4 and 0 last two uh, last two seasons in these AFC NFC Championship games. So, Michael, this game uh, is the of the two games, the only one where the total immediately got hit to the over. Open around 53 and a half. I saw an opener of 50 and a half. I think that maybe was an outlier, but it's now up to 54 and a half. We have seen Kansas City now 7 and 0 to the over their last seven games. It's early with the weather, but nothing in terms of crazy wind or snow. It should be like low 40s. Michael, is this maybe an over opportunity? that you're targeting with a KC team that's cashed seven straight overs. You know, it's interesting it opened so low because the 34-31 game in the last one, it was a, it was what, 65 for the total in the last game? And, and this is 11 points lower. And the, the Bengals held the ball on that last drive of the game for so long, and they still scored 34 points. I mean, I think they ate eight minutes off of that last drive. So, you know, we know this. The Chiefs are going to play man-to-man. They have a vulnerability to give up a big play. The Bengals need to make big plays. I mean, that's how they have to score. They can't put together 12-play drives because they won't protect well enough on 12-play drives. They need a hitch out the chase and let them run 70 yards, kick a field goal. So, you know, I mean, to me, if you like Cincinnati, I think you got to like the over because they got to strike with one or two plays. And I think the way the Bengals are – the way the the Chiefs are playing right now. It's you know their offense is in gear. I mean their two best players are getting the ball again. You know I put Tyreek Hill like you in a class by himself as far as athleticism and explosiveness. Chase, you, you can measure speed differently, Michael. That first step on the hitch, how he created separation. You know what I'm talking about? Where he took that. Yeah, no, I know it. Oh, that yeah. first step is just remarkable. And it's powerful. It's like what makes Debo Samuel so good is it's not so much that he's got this elite. He's got deceptive quickness because he's so big and he's thick in his lower body. It's one of the things that makes Tyreek Hill so good is he's not a little man. He's a big man that runs big. He's hard to get on the ground. I mean, you see people bounce off him left and right. It's it's somewhat remarkable. But, you know, I think I don't think the Chiefs will mind getting in a shootout with with the Bengals. I think the Chiefs feel like they can score on the Bengals. They can take advantage of it if they block that front. That's a good point about Debo, Tyreek, and Chase. They're all thick down low. Josh, the next one up is San Francisco and Los Angeles. Thoughts on the side in total as we open up here. Yeah, so just in general, guys, when we get to these big games, typically I want to kind of wait it out. Let's let the public come in. Let's see if we have any injuries, COVID, who knows. But let's get some more clarity. Let these ticket counts skyrocket. Kind of like if you like the Bengals, let's see if it gets to 7.5. This is the exception, though. I'm actually thinking of getting San Fran right now at plus 3.5 because they open here, uh, Rams minus 3.5, but all the juice guys, kind of similar. It's on a, a kind of reverse way where the juice was always on the Rams in their favor, 3 down to 2.5 against Tampa. Early now, all the juice is towards San Fran. So I think this three and a half may fall down to three very shortly. A uh, lot of familiarity here. I think getting the hook early in the week, you may be uh, very happy about it later if, if this is a three-point game. But a lot of reasons to kind of like San Francisco in this spot. The juice is moving in their favor, even though majority of bets early. It is early, but on the Rams here after taking down Tom Brady. Uh, but also dogs that see a line move 
uh, where the line either stays the same or moves in their favor. 40 and 27 against the spread last decade in the playoffs, 60%. Uh, divisional dogs last decade in the playoffs, 57%. And a ton of familiarity here. That's what I kind of put a lot of stock into. There's not a lot of unknowns in this matchup. Remember, week 18, San Fran upset them 27 24 as a three and a half point dog. Week 10, uh, San Fran's had their number. Week 10, they beat them 31 to 10. That primetime game, I think they're a four point dog in that one. Good stats here. Jimmy G as a dog, 15 and four ATS in his career. Uh, Shanahan, 27 and 18 ATS in his dog is, in his uh, career as a dog. So, Michael, what do you think? I I'm thinking of getting three and a half right now. I know it's early in the week, but I think this is trending down to three. I mean, we like San Francisco as a dog. I think you got to take it. I do think the betting market's going to come back in on it, uh, particularly the way when you analyze and break the game down, how effective their defense was and the pressure that they can put on uh, Stafford because he didn't turn the ball over, but they probably feel like they can get the ball out of his hands and make some mistakes. So, I mean, I think now is the time to get it. I think you got to do a good job of anticipating where the line's going to go. I think the chief line's going up. I think the 49er line's coming down. The familiarity with Shanahan and McVay, I mean, it's impossible to know each other more, right? I mean, on the same staff no. in Washington, yep. played constantly. Shanahan owns them. So we shall we shall see. Yeah, three and a half. Everybody's juice down, headed to three, Josh, as you mentioned. 46 and a half on the opener. Um, okay, you've got betting across America coming later. You got a college hoops play for me tonight, bro? I do have a college hoops for you play, Patrick. Uh, I'm actually going to take the spread in Ole Miss against Florida. Florida's number one uh, score. Castleton is out. Everybody's on Florida, but they open minus six. They're down to four. I'll take the points here with Ole Miss. Hotty toddy. Josh Applebaum. Let's go. All right, buddy. Thank you. Enjoy the day. Thanks, Thank guys. you very Thanks, much. Josh. Okay, Market Insights is the pod. We continue here on a Monday. Lombardi Line, v the Sports Betting Network. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. You're listening to the Lombardi Line on VSEN, featuring former NFL executive Michael Lombardi. Now, once again, here's Patrick Maher. Okay, bet on more than the final score with One Game Parlay at BetMGM. One Game Parlay is an exciting feature designed to help you make selections within a single game for 
from over 400 bet types, including team and player props. Log in, it's very easy. When you log in, BetMGM to, into your account and create your best parlay before the game starts, it's tremendous. They've got a ton of options. Also, when you bet through BetMGM, you get MLife rewards redeemable for room and dining at MGM Resorts worldwide. Sign up today. You can also get up to $1,000 in bonuses. VSIN 1000, VSI. And 1,000. You can place one game parlay bets on football, basketball, and more, and you get those rewards. 21 years or older, all promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Got to be 21 years or older. 1-800-GAMBLER if you have an issue. I, I was laughing. One of my favorite quotes, I don't know why it just hit me. It was when Rob Ryan, I think he was let go by the Raiders, and his quote was, I'll be unemployed for like five minutes. And it was just <laughs> such a Ryan quote. Like He's like, whatever, I'll be unemployed for like five minutes. And I think he did get another job within like a couple of minutes. The reason I, I bring it up. to the Saints. Yeah, yeah, he did. And the reason I bring that up is because, shot, and this was, this was shocking for everyone, Don Martindale, your boy, Wink, yeah. let go by Baltimore. What, were you, what was your thoughts right. there? I think, to me, I wasn't surprised. I mean, Wink was entering the last year of his contract, making a lot of money. And I'm sure that, you know, that the imbalance between they had so much money tied up in coordinators that I'm sure they probably wanted to see if they could get something a little less economical, a little more economical for them. So I think sometimes when you stay at a place so long and especially kind of have gone through the changes that they had. I mean, one thing about the Ravens now, they always get an A in a draft. They always have A players on the field, but they always get an A in every single draft. Watch that. Just do some research on that one. And so for me... For me, I think it was just probably the time, and you could see both both people, Wink and John, you know, who go back a long, long way to John's dad, you know, uh, that, that they probably have run the test of time. And I'm sure that Wink will land easily on his feet. He probably will, you know, I mean, depending on what Dan Quinn does, I would hire him immediately if I were the, the Dallas Cowboys because I think his defensive philosophy fits perfectly to their personnel. But, uh, I mean, he'll have a great opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if Seattle was all over him to bring him in there. <laughs> he'll be unemployed for, like, that's – you know, Rob Ryan, you know why that quote's so funny because it's so flippant. Yeah. Like, I'll be unemployed for, like, five minutes. <laughs> it's just such a yeah. matter of fact. Rob was mad he didn't get the head coaching job. I mean, that's what he, he wanted to be the head coach, you know. So, you know, I, I, I just think to me – that sometimes when you're in an organization so long and you have so many people that are coming from different ways and they have opinions of what's going on and, you know, especially when the front office thinks the talent's better than the coaches, it's probably just it, – it, it, it's, it's probably good just to walk away at times. So this was a good job by Matt Santos. He posited – so Pittsburgh, Butler, their defensive coordinator, retires. What if Wink stayed in division? Yeah, now that that's a good question because see, I think Butler and 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 Mike Tomlin go back a long way. They're they're, they're fr they had a friendship and a philosophical understanding of what they wanted to do defense. Tomlin's going to be involved in the defense, so it's somebody who's going to run the defense for Tomlin is going to come from the Tomlin school of defense, and that would separate Wink from that. It's 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 not because I think the Steelers wouldn't be interested. I think it's just because. Tomlin wants somebody, he's not going to change the verbiage. He doesn't want to change the terminology. You know, he's going to bring somebody in who's going to kind of see it the way he is. And he's also going to run it too. He wants to be involved as much as anything because that's his area of expertise. You know, it's funny, as you say that, Tomlin's a Super Bowl champ into another. Feels like this year, 
if there were any detractors on Tomlin, everybody's just completely on board with what he did with this team this year. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I went through this with, with the coach. So I'm going through the – I finished a chapter on Hall of Fame coaches and who should be in. And I set a criteria, Patrick, based on, you know, Super Bowls, based on titles really at the NFL titles, based on a lot of different variables that, that come together. If you win so many games and have this win percentage, like it has to be laid out. And so Tomlin qualified. Tomlin is going to be in Canton. For his accomplishments and what he's done over his career, the analytical community can say he doesn't manage a game very well. Well, that's fine. But the guy's going to be in Canton because he does because his record is Canton worthy. It's better than Bill Cower, who they let in Canton. It's incredible. He he double digit wins every single year. He, he in, in in division. He and Harbaugh kind of under the radar a little bit because Harbaugh wins pretty much every year as well. Um, there was one more I wanted to ask you. Oh, quickly, just, and we'll get off the head coaches, but with the Giants being the first to hire the GM, the assistant there with mm-hmm. Buffalo, does that change their direction for head coaches? I don't know if I asked you specifically about the Giants before. I think the Giants really are down to Flores and Dayball. They got Quinn in there today. I don't know if that's going to work. But, you know, Dayball was with the general manager in Buffalo. Flores has got a huge presence to him. Flores probably could get along with the general manager, you know, and and, and would work there. The Giants have always been a GM, runs the team, the the coach coaches the team, but there's been some migration between the two. I, I, I think they probably, I think the general manager, who the new hire, Joe Sheen, I think how's that how you say it? I think he would probably prefer to hire, and I don't know this, would prefer to hire Dayball, but I'm sure if he, if you talk to Brian Flores, you're gonna you're gonna appreciate his leadership, you're gonna appreciate his his attention to detail, and you're gonna appreciate his direct his philosophy of football on what he visualizes. And I, by the way, did yeah. you see as we talk about Flores now, did you see this today on uh and this isn't a a, a rumor, this is uh Omar, uh, Omar Kelly from the Fort Lauderdale Sun Sentinel. He said he's talked to a very high, influential defensive player. Okay? You know where I'm going with this, don't you? Mm-hmm. And, and he claimed the prominent defensive player wasn't in support of, uh, of, of Tua keeping his job. Quote, he can't make every throw, the unnamed member of the Miami Dolphins told Kelly. He's only going to take us so far. I'm wasting my career here if that's what we're doing. Well, that's not nice to say about Tua. He shouldn't be saying that. He can't, Well, first off, it's not. this is not up for debate. This is not up for debate. You have to cater your offense around him. He, ha, he, he is, is incapable of expanding a playbook like what we saw last night with Allen and Mahomes. This is, he's not capable of making throws. Like, that's, that's fair. It, He's just not. He's not capable of running. He's not going to be the leader. You know, he's not, unless he can run and have a free lane. I just thought that was interesting yeah. that a player would come out now and say that. And I'm not suggesting that it didn't happen because I, I, I see it the same way the player does. It's just how dynamic and the shift is towards some of these things that people that are looking for coaches have in mind. Like, let me ask you this question. Uh, maybe we should ask them all when we come back on Thursday. Is what, what are you going to do with Jimmy G if, if they'll go to the Super Bowl? That's that's the that's a one billion dollar question right now. You mortgaged everything, and you mortgaged it for hopefully this year, definitely next year. And if Jimmy G takes you to a Super Bowl, Lance can't play next year. There's no freaking way. Yeah, I mean, can, you there's know. no way. Yeah. Now, again, and 
you know what a mall is going to say. A mall is just going to come on on Thursday and say he didn't play well in the game. And then you guys are going to fight back and forth about it. But Garoppolo, there is, <laughs> like I said, there is a galvanization. The team plays for him. They care about him. And you, you can tell that you, there's you no deny. denying I mean, that. And I wouldn't say that he, I, I wouldn't disagree that he, that, that he, that he, Play. I mean, he didn't play. He didn't play well. He made throws when he had to make a throw. Sure. And you know, he he was close to throwing a couple interceptions that was concerning to me in the game. But yet he was able to get away with it, and it didn't. They didn't get picked off. And look, this game was. Look, I I think just based on the way the two quarterbacks play in the game, I don't think we give enough credit for how bad the weather was and how hard it was. And that field was slippery. And then when the snow came in later in the game, it was great to watch visualizing if you got the fireplace on. But that wasn't exactly a, a, a conducive to a high score. I think the key to this weekend, we got to monitor Trent Williams because the other thing I think we saw last week was the Packers, which we said before the game, the Packers defensive front was was beaten up on the on the 49ers. They were beating them up up front and they kind of got it settled down on that last drive barely. But without Trent Williams, that would be even harder. By the way, where did Kyle grow? Did Kyle grow up mostly in Denver? Because yeah. mm-hmm. he he he's having a hard time. And then Justin. he went to school with he, Texas. Then he went to school in Texas. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you know, and then he then he went to then he went and coached at Tampa, and then he went off to the races. Yeah, I don't. I think bring it. I bring it I up. He's, he, I think he's more of a Cabo guy than he is a cold weather guy. Yeah, I I brought it up because it it appeared uh, he was it wasn't Tom Coughlin type cold. Remember Coughlin with the red grill? Oh my God, poor guy. <laughs> I mean, was, poor guy. He was. I think. Uh, I think Coughlin's still cold from that game. <laughs> he just was. I don't think he's warm. I don't think I've warmed up from that game. I mean, geez, that game oh, did hurt. That game hurt to watch. That game hurt. Yeah, to that watch. was painful. E- Eli played great. At it. But you know, the the fans need direction from LaFleur to tell him when to cheer because those Green Bay fans are not knowledgeable on when to cheer. Thank God the floor's there to tell them when they have to make noise. If we, they didn't have that, I don't know what they would do. B D V, Big Daddy Vince. Uh, the aforementioned them all, and of course, Mike Palm coming up next with odds on. Michael, enjoy your day. Go, you, go, go, Thanks, write Patrick. that book. Thanks, go write Matt that Santos. book, man. Go, yeah, thank I you, got Matt. To. Thank got you, to. Kevin. Odds on's next. This is Vsin Sports Betting Network. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome.